Welcome to Tarot for the End of Times, a podcast where we utilize the tarot as a tool to navigate through epochs of deep change. My name is Sarah Cargill. I'm an artist, cultural worker, and your host throughout the duration of this series. In each episode, I'll take a look at the archetypal figures presented in the Major Arcana cards from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck to discuss what each card has to say about navigating through cycles of change, chaos, and instability. Throughout each episode, I'll offer reflection questions and suggestions for exercises that might support you in inviting the energy and wisdom of these archetypes into your daily life and practice. If you'd like to support this podcast and the person who makes it, you can make a monthly donation through my page on anchor.fm. Your generous act of community care and reciprocity helps me to access the resources I need to make projects like this possible and sustainable. You can also support this work by sharing this podcast with your friends and loved ones, and most importantly, by tuning in. Thanks for joining me. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome and welcome back. The story that I'm about to share today is loosely based on a Japanese folkloric tale about the moon deity Tsukuyomi and his sibling, the sun deity Amaterasu. Though these deities once shared the sky, hasty decisions, and fundamental differences in personal values eventually tore them apart resulting in the permanent division between night and day. While the details of the story have been changed and rearranged to fit today's theme, I want to maintain some of the underlying cautionary messages of the original story while including some of my own based on my personal experience with today's archetype. I'll leave a link to the original story in the show notes, but for now, I invite you to relax and enjoy. Hi, you made it. Oh, it's so good to see you. Please come in. It's freezing out there. I have something warm for you. Come, come, sit. I've been waiting for you. (sighs) Don't you love new moons? I mean, it's the only time I get off during the month, so I have to love them, but it's nice, the darkness. You know, I'm actually kind of surprised that you made it, to be honest. I, I wasn't really expecting for you to come. Oh, no, no, no. It's not a comment about you. I wouldn't have judged you for it, you know, if you didn't show up. I mean, I get it. It's kind of annoying when I do that, <clears throat> that thing, you know, answering your questions with questions. Sorry to disappoint. It kind of comes with the territory. I'm just trying to do my job. I ask the hard questions. I'm the one who 
gets to sit with the, the misunderstandings, the riddles, illusions, secrets, uncertainty, all that good subconscious shit. I reflect back what the sun is too chicken shit to investigate. You know what I mean? Anyway, I'm glad you came because I've been listening. And I know you feel like you know the answers right now, but please listen to me when I tell you that uh, feelings aren't facts. You know, information, sure, but fact? Be careful about taking that leap. I guess this was, this was eons before your time, before shit got all fucked up, me and my sibling, you know? The sun, there was a time, there was a time when we shared the sky, okay? No distinction between night and day. We were inseparable. Beyond the obligations of our celestial duties, well, what can I say? The sun, they were my world, and well, as much as I hate to admit it, they, they still are. What happened? So much of that is still a mystery, even to me. But I'll tell you what I know. One day, we had an assignment to go down to Earth to visit the goddess of feasts. Now, I want to preface this by saying that I was actually quite fond of her. Her charm rivaled the sun's, which is saying quite a lot, but her culinary dexterity unmatched. But if there's anything that I've learned in my life as the celestial mirror, it's that we're all way more complicated than we let on. The goddess of feasts, yeah, she had a jealous streak and, uh, well, you just can't hide that kind of thing. Not for me, anyway. It's, it's the kind of thing that just spills over, you know? The goddess of feasts, to put it as, I guess, as plainly and as compassionately as I can, she just got a little too caught up in this, uh, in this one-sided rivalry with the sun. And when I say one-sided, I mean <laughs> the sun had no fucking clue that the goddess harbored such animosity towards them. She just had a really hard time with my sibling, not with their character. Put those two in a room together and you got a real fucking party. But the sun... What can I say? The sun just has these gifts and man, she just couldn't stand it. The sun's capacity, right, to, to grow food with such flippant ease. That's what really planted that seed of doubt, I think, within the goddess. Water a seed enough and, well, eventually it's going to take root. You gotta understand, when you work as hard as the goddess did during her reign, I mean, shit, I feel her pain. I feel like, I feel like it's only natural to resent the ones who can do the things you can't do, especially 
when those things kind of technically fall within your domain, right? The sun's ability to do the one thing she couldn't do with food, grow it. Oh, and to do it with such ease. Shit, that would have fucked me up too. All the sun has to do is be themselves to wield the kind of power she could only dream of. I know from firsthand experience what it feels like to live in my sibling's shadow, but I've always known that a rivalry between us would be a losing game, so I put that stick down a long time ago. And I wish the goddess could have seen herself the way the rest of us saw her. For the record, she was loved, including by me. Alas, shadow work is delicate work, and delicate work isn't for the faint of heart, is it? Of all the delicacies she was able to prepare for us, this was the one delicacy she just couldn't master. So here's the funny thing about us gods. Each of our talents comes with a shadow. Yeah. I know, right? We're not perfect. And you know what, though? That's by design. Because we need both. Think of it like this. How could we even begin to understand the joy of our gifts and the necessity of our virtues without wrestling with the very vices and shortcomings that seeded them? What makes us divine isn't that we're untouched by the things that vex us. What makes us holy is our ability to fully embrace the totality of our being. That's it. That's the sauce. We're not here to be perfect. Not for each other and certainly not for you humans. We're really just here to show you how to be whole in our own way. Anyway, the goddess of feast was able to fool everyone else, including the sun, into believing that her, her generosity was uncomplicated. But again, I'm the fucking moon. Being a mirror is in the job description, and every repressed impulse she had swallowed was written all over that gorgeous face. And it dawned on me. Damn. The goddess of feasts couldn't deal with her own complexity. And it was starting to show. I mean, it was starting to impact her work now, hence the visit. Truthfully, I was relieved when my sibling turned down the assignment because it's, it's just hard. It's hard to watch someone beef with themselves like that, to watch the goddess get strangled in her own cycle of activation and repression, activation and repression. And, you know, I, I love my sibling and everything, but the sun is fucking oblivious. It's just in their nature to take everything at face value, which means that even with all that light, they can't see what I see. It's a strange dynamic, and I, I just, I really do prefer to stay out of it, yet there I was. <laughs> so anyway, I made my way down to Earth to go visit the goddess, 
without the sun. And the afternoon just kind of came and went for the most part. It was, it was pleasant. I mean, the goddess, let me tell you, she really outdid herself this time. Have you ever had a six-course brunch? Yeah, me neither. The food was truly immaculate. That is until it came time for me to grab my doggy bag. I was picking up my leftovers from the kitchen. And with impeccable timing, I might add, the goddess, you know, she approaches me with this gorgeous basket filled with all of the desserts we enjoyed that afternoon. She says to me, a modest offering for the sun. I know how much they like their sweets. And you know, I do the diplomatic thing. I nod and thank her for the gesture and assure her that I'll deliver it to the sun. But something, something about that exchange just didn't feel right. It felt too, it felt too orchestrated. And being who I am, you know, if there's one thing I'm going to do, it's investigate. And so investigate I did. I asked the goddess if I could use her bathroom. I took that gift basket with me. And you know what? I did a little private taste test, okay? At the risk of annoying the shit out of my sibling, because they love themselves a chocolate croissant, okay? I had a little piece. And you know what? Dark chocolate filling has no business being that fucking bitter. But hey, okay. Okay, mistakes happen, right? It's a big kitchen. She's got a big team. So, you know, just to do my due diligence, I try another one. <laughs> and another one. And another one. Bitter. Disgusting. I moved on to the macarons. Chillingly nasty. And I'm in shock here, right? But I have the stomach to metabolize this bitter bitch basket, okay? I was built for shit like this, but the sun? Mm-mm. <laughs> the sun's got to get somebody else to do it, and I'm not somebody else. If my sibling would have eaten any of that, that would have been a wrap. And where the fuck would we be without the sun? Now, I'm guessing this whole investigation took a little bit too long because she came into the bathroom, right? And with every ounce of audacity she was able to muster, she says to me, is everything okay? I busted out of that stall, looked dead into her eyes and said, yeah, everything's fine. As soon as you can tell me, as soon as you can tell me why the fuck you tried to poison my sibling. <laughs> Watching the color drain out of her face was all the proof I needed. At this point, the goddess completely loses her shit, right? And then she starts to go on and on about how the sun thinks they're so much better than everyone and how she's never going to get the recognition that's owed to her. Sure, she says, the sun may be able to grow food just by being their jolly fucking selves, but who puts in the time, the effort, the culinary genius to make this food edible, huh? Enjoyable. Me. But does any of this get acknowledged? 
Where's my fucking banquet? Where's my fucking parade? <laughs> and it started to happen. The turning. Listen, there aren't a whole lot of ways to get rid of us, all right? But the universe is a smart bitch, and she made sure to install a few safety features in us. This is one of them. Whether by judgment or by the sword, the sun and I, we're in charge of keeping everyone in check. And in my lifetime, I've been put in a few positions where I've had to wield both. It's not a pretty job. But it's mine. And <laughs> there are days where sometimes things just don't work out that way. There are days where the universe kind of does my job for me. So here's how it works. If a deity continuously fails to uphold the standards of their duties and responsibilities with the integrity that they promised... And if that deity refuses to participate in the process of accountability amongst peers, whether they like it or not, these actions and hidden motives will eventually activate their self-destruct button, oftentimes without them even knowing it. This, this is the turning. This is the flipping the switch. I mean, I don't really like it, but it's kind of the way of things. It's terrifying and heart-wrenching, but once a deity activates that emergency eject button, there ain't a goddamn thing I can do about it, except bear witness. So I watched as she spoiled from the inside out. Her gorgeous face began to sprout white and gray patches of mold, her orifices oozed compost and all that bitterness leached into every word she spoke about my sibling. Shit, I knew it was over when the flies started to gather. And soon enough, she kind of just dissolved in a puddle of her own rage and acrid waste. There just, you know, there's no helping her at that point. Again, all I could really do was bear witness to this, this turning. So as you might imagine, this routine visit turned out to be a truly exhausting one, but my job was done. And all I wanted to do was to just get the fuck out of my work clothes and take the longest soak of my life. But when I got home, the sun was waiting for me. And of course, the first question out of their mouth is, where is my present? <laughs> Go fucking figure, right? So I sit them down and let them know that, well, uh, there is no present or a goddess for that matter. And the look the look that they shot me ground my orbit to a halt. And I'm confused, right? Because, like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> and in that moment, I didn't really have it in me to tell them what really happened. Even with all that bravado, I know my sibling. 
And, you know, they've come a long way, but they still have a really hard time with being disliked. And it was, just, it was such a long day. It was such a long day for me. I just, I didn't have it in me to recount the details and expend more emotional labor on the matter. I just didn't. So I was quiet. And it was unsettlingly quiet for quite some time. Until out of fucking nowhere, the sun, they say to me, you know, you never liked her. What did you do? And Unfortunately, my exhaustion spoke before I could catch the words as they fell out of my mouth. I said to them, uh, fuck you. I will tell you all about it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, and that was the beginning of the end for us. We tried. You know, we, we tried to revisit this conversation over the next few weeks, but at that point, it didn't even matter what I said. They just, uh, there's just no getting through to someone who's already made up their mind about a situation, you know? When their feelings become fact, they didn't want to believe that anyone could dislike them to the point of attempted poisoning which, you know, I get, fair. Uh, I guess it's kind of a hard pill to swallow. But I didn't think that this would be the thing to forever change our relationship. I certainly didn't think that they'd make it about me. I'm just the fucking messenger. I'm just the mirror. It's wild. It's wild. The kinds of assumptions we make. What we're willing to ruin to preserve our sense of self, to, to preserve how we make sense of this world. God damn. Projection. It's a tempting weapon to wield in the name of self-preservation. I get it. I get it, but it still hurts, you know? A month later, I was returning from another assignment, and when I got home, I was greeted by my suitcases at the door and a short, curt letter that said, don't come back until you're ready to explain yourself. I just, I just wish my sibling would stop asking me questions that they don't want the answers to. Thank you for coming all this way, my darling, but uh, I think I'd like to be left alone now. Oh, can you, can you just do me one favor? Just one favor. Every so often, I do manage to make an appearance during the day since, you know, me and the sun split the sky. But it's purely for business, and those are the days that can get extra lonely. 
Anyway, if you see me in the sky during the day, will you just, will you just do me a favor and um, just give me a quick wave? I don't know how long it's going to take for the sun to acknowledge my presence again. So, you know, it'd be nice to have someone wave back every so often. Thanks. Well, off you go. Thank you so much for listening. I mean, it's been a long time since I've told that story, so... Off you go, and I'll be seeing you. The moon builds the kinetic energy that's needed to launch us into the dynamism of the next card, the sun, by first pulling us back into our interior world. She asks that you read between the lines as you re-examine double meanings and underlying motivations that propel you and those who are closest to you within your relational ecosystem. While you may not draw definitive conclusions while working with this archetype, she can help you to make meaning from what's been left unsaid. This past February, my partner received their certification from Oakland's very own East Bay Meditation Center, an official initiation, if you will, into her practice as a Dharma teacher. Because their course of study coincided with my own development as a spiritual care practitioner, we've had a number of opportunities to reflect on our shared methodologies and overlapping perspectives within our respective practices. One of the more salient parallels I've found between dharma and divination has to do with cultivating presence. As I mature in my practice and bear witness to the overlapping themes in our individual and collective challenges, both internal and external, I grow more and more convinced that the purpose of this practice has less to do with fast-tracking our way to solutions, but rather to equip us with the kind of acute, unflinching presence and awareness that enables us to navigate a world full of questions with integrity, curiosity, and care. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, quote, dark matter is a component of the universe whose presence is discerned from its gravitational attraction rather than its luminosity. Dark matter makes up 30.1% of the matter energy composition of the universe. The rest is dark energy, 69.4%, and, quote, ordinary visible matter, 0.5%. Can we begin to wrap our minds around this? What we've grown accustomed to calling hard evidence only makes up less than a percent of everything that exists. We cannot ignore the darkness that shapes us. The first thing I notice about the moon card is the perspective of its illustration. 
We, the readers, are plopped into the ocean at the mercy of the tides, left with no other choice but to heed the gravitational pull of our celestial companion. I want us to consider also the vastness of the oceans, the primordial waters from which everything emerged. Similarly to dark matter, oceans make up the majority of our immediate universe, planet Earth covering 71% of the Earth's surface, housing 94% of our wildlife, and accounting for 99% of all the world's habitable space. Yet, of that, we humans have only been able to explore 5% of the ocean. The vastness of what we don't know is beyond comprehension. But of what we've managed to gather, we know, at the very least, that we can't outswim the pull of the undertow. Similarly, we cannot escape the tides of the subconscious. We cannot outswim the darkness that holds our entire existence together. So, it's in our best interest to learn how to float. The moon is a slippery, deeply psychological card that is, contrary to where logic might lead us, not governed by the moon. This Neptunian archetype speaks to us in the language of symbols and patterns, the language of our dreams and our subconscious. In the upright position, it implores us to consider the anxieties, illusions, insecurities and fears, misconceptions and secrets and unconscious patterns and imprinting that are foundational to our subconscious programming. This archetype activates the conch call from within, bringing our attention to the stuff that still hurts and the parts of us that long for the embrace of our own acceptance. The moon asks that you pay attention to the small acts of self-sabotage or self-betrayal that you participate in to fortify your personal set of illusions. Which truths do you habitually sweep into the shadows of the night? What do you feel ill-equipped to fully acknowledge? To get to the splendor of the sun, we must first be willing to face ourselves. Understanding the limitations of logic and human language, the moon sends three animal guides to speak directly to our limbic brain, the part responsible for our emotions and unconscious value judgments that influence our behavior. This activation induces meaningful self-reflexivity, or what some might call shadow work. To the left, we have one of humankind's oldest companions, a dog, and to the right, its undomesticated ancestor, a wolf. The dog is often said to represent the conscious mind, while the wolf represents the unconscious mind. We can expand upon this to say that the former represents the, quote, respectable or domesticated parts of our identity, or perhaps the public face we might wear, while the latter, the wolf, represents the parts of us that are still 
despite everything, feral and free from the confines of respectability politics and other such societal norms. The moon strokes the underbelly of our unconscious to unite these juxtaposing elements of our psyche. From what I understand, Dogs and wolves howl for social reasons. They howl to claim their territory, to rally the pack for a hunt, or to send out a sonic flare for missing members of the pack to find their way home. Notably, while the dog in this card appears to be howling at the moon, the wolf appears to be howling at the dog as they work in tandem to translate subconscious murmurings and motivations into conscious thought and awareness. If anything, shadow work is about doing just this. The moon card asks that you pay attention to your inner howling and find your way back to yourself, your full self, by calling in the parts of you that have gone missing or the parts of you that you've perhaps banished to the outskirts of your consciousness in the name of denial or self-preservation or in the name of whatever it is that you consider to be within the realm of what's okay. The moon card says, call them home, everyone. In the same scene, we also encounter a lobster. Now, some say crawfish, but come on, that thing is huge. So in my book, we encounter a lobster emerging from the depths of its oceanic cave. In their 100 million years of existence, the anatomy of lobsters have not changed much. And its presence in this card reminds us to tend to the epigenetically programmed, deeply hardwired parts of our psyche that we'd like to pretend to have evolved out of. Now, Culturally gentrified pop spirituality might lead us to believe that spiritual, quote, ascension is about shunning these aspects of our psyche and human condition. But this approach to cultivating spiritual well-being is, for me, it, it's just another way to run away from ourselves. And the only thing that running is going to do is tire us out. Our fears, anxieties, deepest insecurities, and base motivations have something valuable to teach us, but not if we keep bulldozing over them. We can't outgrow or outrun that which is a part of us, but we can acknowledge its influence and integrate its presence with skill and with care. Now let's shift our attention from the foreground to the background. When I look at the two towers that frame the scene, I'm reminded of a poem by Rumi called The Guest House. Now before I read the English translation crafted by Coleman Barks, I do want to mention that Barks is, in a word, problematic for the ways in which he has contributed to the erasure of Islam in Rumi's works, among other criticisms too, but I'm gonna let you unpack that on your own time. For now, I'll be working with the translation that I have. For me, The Guest House is a poem that describes how I like to work with the energy of the moon card. 
Rumi writes about how these moments of awareness, whether it be in the form of, quote, a joy, a depression, a meanness, those are all opportunities that are sent from spirit or the universe to help you become a gracious host to these unexpected visitors or what we in this context might call our shadow selves. This archetype gives us the opportunity to, quote, treat each guest honorably, end quote. And this is ultimately how we honor the complexity of our experiences. Learning how to treat each guest honorably is something to welcome and to get practiced in for, quote, he may be clearing you out for some new delight, end quote. Rumi describes emotions as guides from beyond. And perhaps we can add here that each is also a guide from within. Feelings may not be facts, but nevertheless, they do deliver vital information. We'd like to think that the conscious self is the one in the driver's seat, but unless you're putting in consistent work around cultivating that as a practice, I simply don't think that's the case the majority of the time, or at least a lot of the time. Emotional tension and cognitive dissonance often act as messengers of the subconscious, the couriers of choice for the moon. Ironically, when we rush to mute the messenger, we inadvertently fulfill their prophecy. Therefore, the moon asks us to skill up so that we might become better hosts to our guests. She stretches our capacity to be with the discomfort, revealing to us in the most private chambers of our own hearts how we truncate our own emotional growth by conflating all forms of discomfort with harm. We gotta be for real with ourselves for a second, right? It's not all the same, yeah? And the moon knows that you know this. Oftentimes, emotional change is a prerequisite to making other types of healthy changes in our lives. And the moon holds us accountable to the inner work we've been avoiding. Speaking of guests, when working with this card, it's important to remember that feelings while informative, cannot be treated as fact. Facts are, by definition, fixed, whereas feelings are, again, by definition, mutable. While feelings and facts might fall within the same realm of important information, they are emphatically not the same. Much like astrological retrogrades, the moon card offers us a moment of reprieve from forward momentum, opening up these opportunities to reflect on the matters we'd prefer to bypass. <laughs> like the tides, you got to get pulled back in a little bit to get pushed to shore. But what's tricky is that this push and pull sensation can actually feel quite unsafe and nothing like respite. And so in the case of the moon, Curiosity isn't a luxury, but a life raft. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. It's imperative that we use tarot as a tool to engage and be present with 
rather than escape from the world, including the world of our inner life. When I describe the intersections between dharma and divination, this is more or less what I'm speaking to. The moon card offers a rich landscape for this part of our practice. She humbles us, not through the cruelty of humiliation, but through the magic of enigma, reminding us that no one thing is fully knowable, which takes the pressure off, right? And once we're able to accept that, we release ourselves from the pressure of needing to force premature answers to situations that simply don't need them. When we move with the tides by nurturing this humility and embracing our own waxing and waning, it lubricates the mechanisms of our subconscious that work to metabolize the parts of ourselves that give us spiritual and emotional indigestion. As we allow the spectrum of our experiences to sharpen our blade of spiritual discernment in the fullness of time, we learn to hold our greatest questions with a looser but a decidedly more skillful grip rather than abandon them altogether. If you get the moon card in the upright position, it's a great time to befriend your shadows and embrace uncertainty as a fecund space for self-exploration. Use this moment to re-examine interactions and situations that were driven by your own underlying fears, illusions, anxieties, misunderstandings, and so on through the lens of self-compassion. An emphasis here on re-examining your stuff, right? Trying to re-examine other people's stuff, though tempting, that's a rabbit hole that you don't necessarily want to go down with the moon. So, you know, eyes on your own paper. <laughs> As the 18th major arcana, this card carries the vibrational signature of the number nine, which you may recall is the number assigned to the hermit. So... Revisit your journey with the hermit and give yourself some breathing room to re-examine private questions that you weren't ready to fully explore previously. Remember, this archetype puts your subconscious in the driver's seat. So when under its influence, pay attention to the desires, longings, the memories and dreams that rock your boat. You may very well make new meaning out of old conundrums, so long as you're willing to place your focus on what the moon is actually shining its light on. Again, eyes on your own paper. As you dip your toes into deeper waters, be sure to hold appropriate boundaries with yourself. You don't want to get caught up in a web of your own fantasies. One way to keep yourself grounded and your head above water is by alternating your efforts between meaningful shadow work and spiritual hygiene. So examine, listen, cleanse, rest, and repeat. Whatever salt water gets pulled out of you in the process, allow that sensation to draw your awareness to the wounds that threaten to fester if left alone. Let it flush out those areas that require additional care and invite your house guests in to bear witness. Please keep in mind, as you're doing this work, that the moon is an archetype that prioritizes process over results. 
Things are not what they seem, and that's on purpose. You're supposed to get caught out at sea, surrounded by a Neptunian fog, which, in my experience, more often than not, is nostalgia. Do not let nostalgia lull you into a forever sleep, okay? When it comes to the moon, this is how you get got. Exploration is not an excuse for feigned ignorance and recklessness. Remember where you've traveled before, and again, follow the light of the moon. Concretely speaking, when you get the moon card in the upright position, similarly to retrograde seasons, it's generally ill-advised to make consequential or permanent decisions or begin new projects. Everything looks sexy under moonlight, but that doesn't give you the information you need to make important decisions. In the realm of the moon, you get just enough to complete the assignment at hand. Nothing more, nothing less. A quick analogy here for those who wear makeup. Have you ever like, have you ever beat your face in dim indoor lighting? only to find that your shit looks way fucking different when you take another look in natural lighting? Yeah, trying to make important decisions while under the influence of the moon is pretty much like that. You're beating your face under moonlight, okay? It feels real cute in the moment, but shit's gonna look real different under the sun's light. Again, this is a slippery archetype whose message can shift dramatically based on the larger context of the reading. So if the moon card appears in the reverse, it could indicate a time of epiphanic clarity as much as it can indicate moments of confusion and uncertainty. Generally, however, when this card appears in the reverse, it can speak to truths coming to light and gaining clarity on the experiences, emotions, and memories that influence your choices. You may finally become aware of not only the big lies you've been telling yourself, but also the smaller, more insidious ones. You know the ones. The ones that mm, maybe help you sleep at night, but haunt you in your waking hours, right? The moon in reverse spotlights the tiny little white lies and half-truths you may have gotten away with telling yourself and others. And it's a moment to just come to grips with the cumulative impact of those little lies. How they have ultimately been at your own expense. When bringing the unconscious to conscious awareness, understanding becomes a balm to the rawest parts that have gnawed at you in your sleep. So, what is the cumulative impact of all those little fibs you tell yourself? The little fibs that sound like, oh, I'm fine, or no worries, when it's like very much worries, <laughs> right? In what ways has this little habit contributed to your self-sabotage? What are the half-truths that you accept from others to keep the idea of something or someone pristine? The moon in reverse asks you to allow discomfort to dislodge you from the confines of old stories that do nothing but weigh you down. Let that shit go and watch yourself float.
And with that, we are at the end of this episode, my friends. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining me for another episode of Tarot for the End of Times. Thank you for sharing this work with your loved ones and for offering your feedback with a lot of thoughtfulness and care. Thank you to those who offer periodic and ongoing monetary support to ensure that I'm able to continue doing this work. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to rate this podcast, subscribe, and follow me on Instagram at snakeskin.tarot for updates on new episodes. Please know that these acts of support carry a really big impact. So thank you for showing up in this way so that I can continue to show up for you. If you'd like to work with me one-on-one, I've left you some links in the show notes. Until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other.